Do you remember the quote that I shared with you by Vance Havner when we were looking at Daniel chapter 1? Okay, that's working. Look at that. Uh, Vance Havner said, It's better to die for a conviction than to live with a compromise. And the people in the story today live that out in a startling way. They have resolved in their hearts and minds to honor and obey the Lord no matter what, even if it costs them their life. Now, a little background for the book of Daniel as we continue in our study of that book this morning. The Jewish people, as a nation, had turned away from the Lord and worshipped the idols of the pagan peoples around them. And the Lord had warned them again and again to turn back to Him or He would have to bring judgment against them. Well, they refused to listen. So after some 800 years, 800 years of varying degrees of unfaithfulness to the Lord, judgment finally came after 800 years. The mighty Babylonian empire swept into the land of Judah and destroyed it. The Babylonians took everything of value back to their own land, including the best and the brightest people who were still alive in Judah. Four young men from the city of Jerusalem were some of the people who had been taken captive back to Babylon. Among other things, the book of Daniel follows the fate of those four men while living in Babylon. In Daniel chapter 1, because of the obvious talents of these four young men, Soon after they landed in Babylon, they are enrolled in a special training academy to be educated in all of the ways of Babylon with the intention of becoming administrators in the king's service. Well, all four of these young men graduated at the top of their class and they were entered into the king's service. Then in Daniel chapter 2, it tells the story of this very troubling dream that the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar had. He knew the dream had an important meaning, but none of his expert psychics, astrologers, sorcerers, magicians, and similar were able to tell him the dream and its meaning. But the Lord gave the young man, Daniel, a vision of the king's dream and its meaning. Because Daniel was able to then tell the dream to the king and explain its meaning, the king promoted him to a very high place in the Babylonian government, in fact, making him governor over all of the province of Babylon, it tells us. And Daniel's three friends, Hananiah, whose name was changed to Shadrach, Mishael, whose name was changed to uh, Meshach, and Azariah, whose name was changed to Abednego, they were also promoted and given important administrative posts in the government. This brings us to Daniel chapter 3, where we will be looking in on Daniel's three friends and how things are going for them. So we're in Daniel chapter 3, beginning in the first verse. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all of the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all of the other provincial officials assembled 
for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. You might remember that Nebuchadnezzar was represented by the head of gold on the statue in his dream in Daniel chapter 2. Well, it appears that this head of gold has literally gone to his head. Because he has now constructed this huge statue of gold to be worshipped. And I think it's pretty obvious that he's thinking that whole big statue is him. He's the golden boy of history in his mind. It says it's 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. A cubit was about 18 inches. So this statue is about 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. This would be about the size of an eight or nine story building. Here's uh, an image that I put together, a little diagram to show you what a six foot person would look like versus a 90 foot statue. It's, this would be a very impressive statue, especially considering that the entire thing is overlaid with gold. It would be glistening in the sun, towering over everything else around it. When this huge statue is finally complete, Nebuchadnezzar, he holds this dedication ceremony where all of the various officials and administrators and dignitaries of Babylon are expected to be present. Well, three of the people that are to be at this dedication ceremony are Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, since they are important government officials in the province of Babylon. Now, oddly, Daniel is not present at this dedication ceremony, and we're never told why in the text. Some have speculated that Daniel was out of the area at the time, perhaps tending to some kind of business for the king. One thing that we can be sure of, though, is that if Daniel had been there, he would have been standing beside his three friends in what happens in this story, because he shared the same heart convictions that they do. Verse 4 then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So all of the various officials and leaders are assembled before this huge gold statue, and when the signal is given, they all bow down and worship it. Anyone not bowing down to the statue would be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, the furnace being talked about here is a huge kiln furnace that would be used to fire bricks and glazed tiles or to smelt ores and metals for big construction projects like this giant statue and all the associated buildings and paved courtyards and such that were part of it. This is a photo of an ancient kiln furnace similar to what is probably being referred to here in this story. A person thrown into one of these furnaces would be instantly charcoaled, no doubt about it. Well, everyone bows down to this statue and worships when the signal is given except 
these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now some picture the scene as thousands of people assembled before this huge image, the music sounds, and then all of these thousands of people bow down in unison to this statue, except for these three guys who remain standing in the middle of this huge crowd. I don't think that it probably played out quite like that. Based on how these three and Daniel have conducted themselves, throughout the book of Daniel up to this point. We don't see them making a big scene over things. They are always discreet and tactful, respectful with the way that they behave. And I see no reason to think that they would have acted any differently in this situation. So I think that these three may have more likely discreetly excused themselves, made themselves busy in some way, somewhere, until all of the bowing down stuff was over with. Well, why would bowing down to this statue have been a problem for these three Jewish men anyway? Well, it would be considered an act of idolatry for them. The law of God given to the Jewish people through Moses stated that they were not to bow down to or pay homage to any idols of any kind. This was the first and the second commandments of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 3, says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Verse 8, it says, At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. I don't know why they feel the need to list all of these instruments every time. <laughs> what about the trumpet? You left that out. You, you know, it's like... Must all fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews among you. There are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. It appears that initially Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been able to avoid the sticky situation of bowing down to this gold statue they had managed to go unnoticed by the majority of the people who had been at the dedication. But there are some people who have been out to get these Jews for a long time, and a great opportunity has just presented itself to them. There are some native Babylonians, they're referred to here as astrologers or Chaldeans, who resent the fact that these Jews have been given such high positions in the government of their country. They're foreigners. They're from a captured people. They are from an inferior race. They can't be trusted with the secrets of Babylon. They should be our servants rather than our peers and our bosses. 
Well, these Babylonians, they have been nursing a grudge and a prejudice against these Jews from at least as far back as the time when Daniel made them all look bad in chapter 2 when they couldn't interpret the king's dream, and he could. They go to Nebuchadnezzar and they denounce these three Jewish men, accusing them of treason, of conspiracy, and insubordination. Since these three refused to obey the king's orders, they refused to worship the king's gods, they dishonor the king, they dishonor his gods, they dishonor Babylon. Well, when the king hears this, he goes into a furious rage. In verse 13, it says, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of, get ready, the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So the king has these three Jewish men brought before him, and he asks them if these accusations are true or not. He offers to give them a chance to prove their accusers wrong by complying with his orders to bow down before this gold statue. And if they'll do that, then everything will be fine, and everyone can just go back to doing whatever they were doing. But if they refuse to bow to the statue, they're going to be thrown into this furnace. Verse 15, Nebuchadnezzar says, Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? This is a direct challenge to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He basically says, You know, you boys can have your religious faith in your little God if you want. But your God isn't here calling the shots I am. And if you don't want to be vaporized, you better recognize that I'm in charge here, and you better put your face in the dirt when the signal is given. 16, they respond. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, these are the most important verses in the chapter for us to take to heart. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they mean no disrespect to the king, with their reply. They're simply answering in the only way that they can under the, under the circumstances. They are convinced that the Lord is able to deliver them from this furnace if he chooses to. They also are fully aware that the Lord may choose not to deliver them from the furnace. Either way, they are going to remain faithful to their God. Here's a big idea that we want to take hold of here. The, the Lord Choosing not to rescue them is not a reflection of the power and the ability of the Lord or an indication of his love for them. Not rescuing them doesn't mean the Lord is weak and powerless. Not rescuing them doesn't mean the Lord doesn't love them. 
God choosing to act in our life in a particular way or not says nothing about his ability to act. And we should not connect God's love for us with our circumstances. His love is always present and true, no matter what our circumstances are, good or bad. They're acknowledging and submitting to the Lord's sovereignty over all things, including their lives. The Lord doesn't always do what we want Him to. The Lord doesn't always deliver us from suffering and pain. And it takes a tremendous amount of faith in the Lord to trust Him like that. But, but that is the kind of faith and trust the Lord wants us to have in Him. That we would trust Him through all things, no matter what it might be. If we knew we would always get our way with the Lord, it would be pretty easy to trust Him when difficulties come along in our life. It would be Amazing, wouldn't it? Every time you ask an all-powerful God to do something for you, He does it just the way you think it should be done. He would basically be a genie in a magic lamp for us. Rub the lamp, out pops the all-powerful genie to do our bidding. A fun fantasy, perhaps, but it's just that, a fantasy. The real God is sovereign over all of His creation, and that means he has something to say about how things are done. And if we really think it through, we're glad that he does it his way rather than our way. You and I can't be trusted with that kind of power. We're too self-centered and fickle and limited in knowledge for that. I mean, if my all-powerful genie was doing my bidding and your all-powerful genie was doing your bidding... It wouldn't take long before all of our all-powerful genies doing all of our biddings would have a major collision with one another. And there would be nothing but a black hole in space where Earth used to be. It's much more difficult for us to trust the Lord when the possibility exists that the Lord may not do what we want. But that's the way it is and the way it has to be. God is sovereign over everything, including you and me, and it must be that way. Will we trust the Lord even when he doesn't do what we want him to do? Will we submit to his authority over our life even in those times? When the Lord doesn't do what we want him to do, how do we react? Do we get angry? Do we question his goodness? Do we question his love? Do we think about switching sides in some way? Well, these three men didn't. They're ready to face death in the furnace if need be. But they are not going to bow to the king's image. They're not going to disobey their God. They're not going to waver in their trust in the Lord. Verse 19, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Verse 20, 
So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. It says, when Nebuchadnezzar heard their response to his orders, he just loses it. He is furious and his attitude toward them changes. The way he sees it, he has given them a chance to silence their accusers and make things right, and they have refused his gesture of mercy. Well, the furnace, it's overheated to such an extent that the soldiers who throw these three men into the furnace are killed in the process. In 24, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Well, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. The length of time a person could be expected to survive in an overheated furnace like this is a fraction of a second. I mean, a human being would be instantly killed in that kind of heat. But to the king's astonishment, that doesn't happen to these three guys. He sees a fourth among them. Who is this fourth person in the furnace with these three? Well, some believe that it's one of the angels of God. Some believe it's Christ himself in a pre-incarnate appearance. We're not told. It's a mystery. And I'm okay with leaving it as a mystery. This fourth person is an agent of the Lord, protecting his faithful ones from the flames of the furnace. That's what we know about it. In 26... Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. So not a hair was singed, not even the smell of smoke is in their clothing. It's an astonishing miracle. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Well, if you've been following along in these first three chapters of Daniel, you'll notice that Nebuchadnezzar is fond of threatening to kill people in very brutal ways and handing out promotions. Because we see that he's done that once again with these guys. Verse 28, he says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command 
and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. He provides here in this sentence a beautiful summary of the story, capturing the main idea to be remembered by us. It reminds us of Isaiah 43.1, where it says, But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. The Jewish people had their nation destroyed. They were taken captive to foreign lands because of their idolatry. And now, in the foreign land of Babylon, these three Jewish men, they're faced with a choice of participating in the idolatry of that land or being burned alive in a furnace, and they choose the furnace. A vivid contrast between the idol-captivated people of Israel and Judah and these faithful captives in the foreign land of Babylon. One closing We ask the question, did these three men take their faith and commitment to the Lord too far? What would the Lord do in your life and my life if we would live without compromise the way that these guys do? There's always a potential furnace waiting for the person who's going to make an uncompromising stand for the Lord. That comes with the commitment. We're told in 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will face a furnace. What would inspire a person to make a stand like these guys do? They're convinced of the reality of the Lord and believe that life with the Lord is better than any other, no matter the cost. Jesus asked the question in Mark 8, 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? These men had settled those questions. Their souls were entrusted to the Lord. And what about us? How have we settled those questions for ourselves? Lord, give us the same hearts as these three men that we would be willing to face the flames rather than turn away from you. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the example that they set for us. It's a, it's a powerful, profound, and uncomfortable example that they set for us, Lord. Lord, we, give us the same kind of hearts that these men had. Hearts for you. Hearts that value our relationship with you above everything else. Lord, we ask you would make that so in us. That we would see our relationship with you 
to be the most valuable thing in all of our life. Lord, we need you to change our hearts so that they're like that. I ask you would bless us. You would bless each one here, Lord. May your hand be on them, encouraging and strengthening their faith. In Jesus' name, amen.